Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. channel a little Curtis Mayfield there. That's good for you on a Sunday morning. Welcome today. I want to welcome those of you who are uh, joining us right now from an off-site campus or maybe on the internet somewhere, the chapel. <laughs> Excuse me. It's dusty back there. So, yeah, we're glad you're here. Jesus is coming. People, get ready. So, uh, how many of you have ever been to either a movie or read a mystery book? Anybody been to a mystery movie or read a mystery book? You like those? And, and you see all these little clues all the way along, and you go, okay, all right, I know what's coming. And you get one, and, and then you get to the end, and you miss it entirely. Anybody ever read one of those? Here was a movie that did that to me. I don't know if anybody else saw this, but it's called uh, Now You See Me. Anybody see that one? Now, I'm not gonna tell you, you know, I'm not gonna be the guy at the party that tells you about the movie that he just went to and tells you the whole movie and you don't even care, okay? 
But this movie was great. I tell you what, 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 what was good, good was it had four, four magicians, and they're world class, and they come together, and they do this cool stuff, and they pull off a giant heist. And the whole time through the movie, I'm watching closely because I know it's a mystery. It got to the end, and I missed it entirely. But what was cool about this movie is that they went back through and kind of in reverse order and showed you the clues that you missed, which was kind of cool, and then you have this aha moment. Well, prophecy, biblical prophecy, is kind of like that. Um, you get little clues here and there, but it's hard to see the big picture. In fact, that's why uh, I like to believe that biblical prophecy is best seen in the rearview mirror. After something happens, you go, oh, okay, I, that's this, and that's this, and that's this. In fact, one of the earliest examples of that is the story of Jesus. You remember that picture right there? He's in Bethlehem and a photographer was there. They have really good lighting and they got it. They put it on a lot of cards and stuff. These guys actually weren't there then. They showed up a lot later, but it makes a nice picture. Joseph is kind of like most brand new dads. Well, I'm happy to be here, but I don't know what to do with my hands. And I'm just kind of there, right? And so what we know about that picture, not the picture, but the actual event, is that it was prophesied hundreds of years before it actually happened. In fact, Jesus, if you look at his whole life, fulfilled over 300 prophecies. I wish I'd have gotten the figures for you, but the, the chances of one man fulfilling eight prophecies, eight uh, years, hundreds of years before, the, the chance of that happening is like one in you know, 100 trillion. I mean, it just doesn't happen. He fulfilled 300 of them. That's why I believe he, he is who he said he was. It's one of the reasons that you can believe that. But he fulfilled over 300 prophecies and the whole nation is looking for the Messiah. And yet, this is the first, where is it? There we go. Surprise birthday party in the history of the world. Because nobody got it. Nobody saw it coming, even though there were scriptures like this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. This is Isaiah hundreds of years before. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel. And then over here, but you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, you will come for me, uh, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old from the ancient of times. And so this is just two of them, and they say, it's gonna happen in Bethlehem. It's gonna be somebody who's been around forever, and yet it's gonna be a baby born of a virgin, and yet we miss it. We miss it. Why? Because there were little pieces about it that were in various scriptures, various chapters, various books. But in the end, you look at it, and you go, oh, okay, there it is. It's the same, I think, with the second coming of Jesus. And we're gonna talk about that today a little bit. We're in a series on Revelation, and Revelation is a prophecy book. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a real thick book with all kinds of imagery. And, um, but when you talk about the second coming of Jesus, a lot of people have theories about how it's gonna happen because of clues that are out there. But frankly, we don't know in entirety, and probably we won't know until we see it from the other side in the rearview mirrors. That makes sense. And here's the question, and that's this. Why the mystery? 
Why don't you like that graphic? I mean, I wanted to use this for the series uh, graphic, but they said no, so I snuck it in anyway on my own because I love it. It's like a wrestling match between evil and good. Uh, spoiler alert, this guy wins, okay? And, uh, but, but it's a mystery, and why is it a mystery? Why doesn't God just go, you know, this is gonna happen, and this is gonna happen, and this is gonna happen, and it's gonna be like this, and it's gonna be on, on this timing, and yet it's not. And what you have to understand is that all of history is like, it's God restoring things to himself. It's a restoration process, and ultimately he restores mankind, he restores the earth, he restores everything unto himself, but it's a giant battle between good and evil. And I love this scripture. It helps us to understand. He says, now we declare, this is Paul in 1 Corinthians, now we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. This is a ruler of this age. In fact, the Bible says that he's the prince of the earth. He's got all kinds of his minions. And you know what? They know some things, but they don't understand everything. In fact, um, if you remember a New Testament story, remember the one where Jesus casts demons out of a guy, there's a whole bunch of them, and the demons negotiate a deal? Listen, put us in the pigs rather than just being gone. Remember that story? Well, the demons knew who Jesus was. They identified him. Nobody else knew. The disciples at that point didn't understand that he was and is the Son of God. They knew it. The demons knew it. They recognized him, but what they didn't know was what his purpose was. And look at this scripture. That's why this scripture is so important. It's like that dance step around the stand. That was pretty cool. Nearly tripped, but it's good. Um, the rulers of the stage didn't understand it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Here's the deal. They saw it's Jesus. We're going we're gonna to get him. They crucify him. What they didn't know was that was part of the plan. <laughs> and if they would have known that was part of the plan, if they would have known that you and I would have been engrafted into the people of God as a result of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they never would have done it. And so God kept it as a mystery. So there are a lot of mysteries like that and reasons for that. Now, so what we're gonna do today is we are going to, we are going to talk about what we know and what we think we know about the end times. We're gonna look at Revelation 16 through Revelation 19, which is one of the most complicated, difficult passages of scripture to understand, and we're gonna do it backwards, okay? We're gonna start at the end of the book and work our way backwards. Now, why are we doing that? Because we wanna confuse you more. <laughs> Actually not. If you know anybody that says, well, Revelation is easy to understand, they're on something, okay? I, I, I really do believe that because it's, it's difficult. But what we wanted to do, we thought that this would be the best way that maybe we could communicate in a broad sense what's going on here and, uh, and, and maybe you can understand it a little bit better. And so we're gonna start from, the, from our way backwards and the first place we're gonna hit is the very end of the book where it talks about heaven. Now, next week we're gonna do a whole message on that. Okay, on the last three chapters of Revelation, so I won't get into it very much. But I just wanna kinda 
that's a starting place going backwards, so let's read a scripture on it. Revelation 21, verse one through four says, then I, I as John, he's on the Isle of Patmos, he's uh, writing a book, a revelation, a, uh, an apocalyptic in nature, a vision that he saw. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. What's he talking about? Talking about heaven. What do you think of when you think of heaven? Harps and angels and clouds, right? Boring. That's not what heaven is about. In fact, right now, if you were to die today, and by the way, the mortality rate is about 100%, kind of hovers around that here in Mount Pleasant. So are we in the end times? You are, okay? And so, uh, yeah, it's gonna happen in your lifetime. But so, <laughs> isn't that encouraging? That's just, let's just think about that, will we? Well, if you, if you have the right perspective, it is encouraging, okay? But heaven, when you die, here's what we believe. We believe that you bury the body and that the spirit, and the soul, which makes you you, goes to be with the Lord. And evidently, uh, in heaven, we recognize one another, uh, but our bodies are, are there, and then later, we're gonna show you how it comes out in Revelation. Later, the body will actually be resurrected and it'll be made a new body. But where you go right now is not the ultimate heaven. It's just the intermediate heaven, like this is the intermediate earth that we're in. The earth someday, according to Revelation, and heaven are gonna be made new. The earth is gonna be restored. It's gonna be like an extreme makeover to restore it to what it was originally intended to be. And then heaven will come down and merge with earth because right now there are two different places separated. Then there'll be no separation. New Jerusalem will come down and there'll be a, it, it'll all be one thing. It'll be here. So, so you're gonna live here. If you, like, if you like the low country, you can be here. I like the low country, but I'm gonna be by a trout stream in Colorado also forever. And... Uh, uh, and, and here it'll work, I don't know how, but it, it, it'll work. And so, and so the ultimate end is heaven. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth, okay? Now, as we're working our way backwards, the next event that we, that we know is that Jesus is gonna return. This is the second coming of Jesus. What was the first coming? Bethlehem. Second coming is when he returns again, and let's read what Revelation says about it, or actually John. John 14 and verse one says, Jesus has told his disciples that he's gonna, he's gonna have to go away and they're all upset. And he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you, or would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. He's making him a promise. He says, I gotta go away. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to my father's house and I'm gonna prepare a place for you. That's that place that's coming back. And he says, 
So if I go, you're going to go too. So it's the second coming of Jesus. Now let me stop here. This has been fairly simple. From here on, it gets really dense. I'm going to give you some things to think about. Some of you are going to eat it up. Some of you are going to go, my God, what's that guy smoking? You know, uh, this is amazing, but I don't understand and I'm lost. Can I give you permission to be lost? In fact, if you're new here today, this is not normal. Now, I'm normally not normal, but this is not normally what we do for a message. But here, here's what I want to say, a couple of things. First of all, if you get lost, don't worry about it. All you need to know about prophecy in the end times is these two things. Jesus is coming and heaven has been promised. That's it. That's all you need to know. That's what we really, really know. Now, um, so, so that's, that's one thing. And, and if that's all you need, yeah, you might as well go, go now and beat the Baptist to the restaurant. Uh, we're done. Uh, you can hang in there for a few more minutes. And let me tell you how to enjoy the rest of the message. Don't take notes. The note sheet that you have, you can't read anyway. Those scriptures are so, I don't know what happened to that thing. Somebody put it in a washing machine and it shrunk, okay? You can't read that thing. And you'll just be writing, because I'm going to give you so much information. You're going to be just write, write, write. Put your note sheet away. Put your pens away. Just listen. Just listen. And then if they, at the end of it you go, wow, that was good. I want to know more. Go online and watch it online or do a podcast and then download the notes from the online because you'll be able to read those and just take all the notes that you want to, okay, at that point. And if you want more, you can read books. And I suggest some this morning on my Facebook page on the way in to church. I just talked about a book or two that really influenced me in all of this and you can, you can read those, okay? So that's all you need to know, but let's go further because heaven is last and then the second coming of Jesus and then the next thing that we have, oh, I was just gonna say, when is that gonna happen? But about that hour, Jesus says, no one knows. So if you read in a book or somebody has a book that says they know, save your money. <laughs> they don't, nobody knows. Not even the angels, nor the Son, but only the Father. Only one that knows is the Father, okay? All right, let's go, let's go to the next one, and that's the millennium. Endgame is heaven. Jesus comes just before heaven, and then there's the millennium. Say millennium together. Millennium. What does millennium mean? Well, that's people that don't want to work. No, that's millennials. That's not millennium, okay? <laughs> Not true. Don't throw stuff. I'm just an old baby boomer. I don't know anyway. Yeah, millennial, or no, a millennium <laughs> is a thousand years, okay? That's a thousand years. And here's where it comes from. It comes from Revelation 20 and verse 4. It says, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. And they had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. That was the two biggest questions this week was, what is the beast? Who is the antichrist? What is the mark of the beast? I'll talk about that in a few minutes. 
Um, they came to life and reigned with Christ for how long? A thousand years, which is a millennium. So apparently, as I get it right, heaven forever, Jesus reigns forever, okay? Jesus comes back at some point, and it's somewhere there's a thousand-year period where Jesus reigns that's different from this period here. So let's see if we can figure this out, all right? Now, there are three views on the millennium. What I'm saying is that there are very smart people who are theologians who believe three different things on this. The first one most prevalent by about 75% of them is a premillennial view, premillennial. That just simply means we switch the second coming because pre means the second coming, that the second coming is before a millennial, before a thousand year reign. Now here's what they believe. Premillennials believe that first of all, Jesus returns before a literal thousand years. So, so there's, Jesus comes, and then there is a thousand years, and you can count them. They're years like we have that Jesus reigns on the earth. During that time, there will be relatively, relative peace and prosperity. The gospel will be preached. There'll be peace among people. But at the end of the thousand-year reign, those that believe this, believe that Satan is released for one final battle, evil, good, one final battle. Satan is defeated, and Jesus reigns forever in the new heaven and the new earth uh, come together. The second view is what's called an amillennial view, and in this one, we've switched it back over to here, so you've got second coming uh, after a millennium, and uh, people that believe that believe this, that the thousand years is symbolic. It's symbolic. Well, how can you get that? Well, let, let me explain it. How many of you have ever heard of this, uh, where the Bible talks about that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Have you heard that? Okay, is that literal or is it symbolic? If it's literal, it means that there are a thousand hills somewhere that God owns the cows on, okay? If it's symbolic, it simply means that God owns everything, right? It's a, it's a, a picture to show you that God owns everything. And so those who have this point of view would say this is symbolic and therefore... Um, we are currently living in the millennial age. Remember, you had the second coming of Jesus, but this millennial was before that, this thousand years. Well, they say that this thousand years may not be an exact thousand years, but it's a period of time. We are currently living in it. That's why I put a church here. They're saying that when Jesus died and rose from the dead, it began the age of the church. The church started then, and the church will cease to exist when Jesus comes the second time. So we are living now in a millennial age that's lasted about 2,000 years. Does that make sense? So that's what these people believe, and then they believe that Jesus is gonna come and usher in the eternal kingdom. It could happen at any time, all right? The third view is a post-millennial view, and this one's interesting. It's similar to this in that it's a, a symbolic 1,000 years, but these people believe that... Um, most of Revelation was fulfilled in AD 70. So what we're talking about today, Revelation 6 through 19, that's past tense. It's imagery about stuff that was to come but came not very long after the book was written in AD 70. Now, in about three weeks, 
about 50 of us are gonna go to Israel and we're gonna go to this spot right here and we're gonna look at these rocks. These rocks are all that's left of the temple from Jesus' day, okay? Now, if you remember anything about the New Testament, Jesus got in trouble about talking about the temple being destroyed. Now, he said it was, he was speaking of himself, but he was also speaking of the literal temple that was there, and he said there would not be one stone that would be left on another. They couldn't imagine that because it was the most magnificent building in the history of the world. But less than 40 years after Jesus died and rose again and ascended to heaven, the Romans came in, got tired of uh, the, the, the Jewish uprisings of the time and totally destroyed Jerusalem. Destroyed it so much that it, they made it their goal that there would not be one rock left on another. This is all that's left of that that we have. You can see some burn marks on these rocks because they burned all of Jerusalem and that was it for Israel. Israel was a nation no more, okay? totally destroyed. And so millennials would say, what you read in Revelation actually happened already in AD 70. They also believe that after roughly a thousand years, not literal, through the church, the world would become better and better, and then Jesus will come. They say that the church will, the other two points of view say there's a bad time coming. They say, no, there's good times coming. The bad times are behind us that the, the church will continue to infiltrate politics, infiltrate government, infiltrate business, and it will be better and better and better and better and better until Jesus comes for a great place, okay? And so that's kind of the post-millennial view. Now, let's go to the next one, and it's not as fun, but it's really interesting, called the tribulation. We think we know that there will be some times of trouble. In fact, only one view says that there won't. So let's take a look at this for just a minute. And before we do, I wanna talk to you about four ways of viewing Revelation. There have been several people that have talked to me already today and last night and said, thank you for teaching on this. I was doing the Bible reading this week. I asked you guys to read this. I said, I had not a clue what was going on. Well, let me give you some viewpoints of how you can read Revelation 9, uh, 6 through 19 some different ways. One, you can read it as an idealist, as an idealist. Now, an idealist, and these viewpoints are all Christian people, Christian theologians, but an idealist would say, you know, it's a great story, it's a story between good and evil, but it, it's not really about anything, it's just a good and evil story, and it's a great story, and it's kind of like, it'd make a great comic book or movie, or it's kind of like Game of Thrones on steroids, okay? That's what an idealist would say. All right. A historicist would say, no, these are real events that it's predicting, but it's events that have been down through history. It's not one particular age, but it's things that have happened down through history. A futurist, which is the next one, would say, no, all of Revelation 6.19 is out in the future somewhere. Okay, it's, it's a time yet to come. And then a preterist would say, no, it already happened. You can read it, but it has nothing to do with you because this is stuff that has already happened. AD 70 is when it was, plus another time earlier in Jewish history. And so that stuff's already there. So um, I should have said about the millennials, some of you are asking me, which one do you believe? I think it'll all pan out, okay? That's what I believe. But on this... Idealist, I'm not going there because I think it's more than just a story. 
Uh, preterist, I'm not going to dive too deep in this, but in order to believe this point of view, you've got to believe that the book of Revelation was written somewhere in AD 60s, and most people, almost all, believe that it was written in AD 90s, so I'm not going to go there. Um, historicist would be a fun point of view, but this is even a more fun point of view as a futurist. And so that's where we're gonna take it for the next couple of minutes as we look at how do you read Revelation and what was it about, okay? So the tribulation. Uh, those who believe in a futurist point of view would say that Revelation 6 through 19 and Daniel 9 are referring to the same thing, a time of tribulation, that is a seven-year period. So that whole reading is about seven years. And it's divided into two segments, the first three and a half years of peace. In Daniel, it calls him an antichrist. In Revelation, it calls him a beast. In fact, there are four beasts and one is greater than all the others. And the, the, the greater beast is, the one with the horns, is the antichrist, okay? And it's a political figure who raises up in the end times, whenever that is, and who brings peace to the earth. How many of you believe that if there was somebody who could stand up today as a politician from some country and could bring pre peace to the entire earth, that would be the most powerful person on earth, okay? And it is, it would be. So this guy steps forward, there's three and a half years of peace, but unfortunately, at the, somewhere around the three and a half year uh, period, he reveals his true colors, and uh, he's a megalomaniac and asks people to worship him. Now, there are political leaders. You can look to North Korea to find this kind of thing here today, all right, here today. And so, and so there's chaos that breaks out. And you can find in Revelation, like I said, Daniel tells a lot about it, but in Revelation, you can find these, these three and a half years right here. He says, I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers, but exclude the outer courts. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. It's us. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. How long is 42 months? Three and a half years, okay. Um, and I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, which is three and a half years, clothed in sackcloth, and they are the two olive trees, and the two lampstands, they stand before the Lord of the earth. Let's talk about two witnesses just for a minute. Uh, most people who believe this point of view would say that the two witnesses are Moses and Elijah come back. In fact, when you, the Mount of Transfiguration, that's who's on the mountain with Jesus. And um, uh, the last book of the Old Testament, uh, Malachi, predicts that Elijah is gonna come back. Okay, and so these are two supernatural human beings that are back in Jerusalem. In fact, we'll see where they are. Or, well, no, here it just describes them. It says, if anybody tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouth and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during that time. They are prophesying and they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. That, those be some pretty cool superpowers, don't you think? And uh, you, know, you go, what's up with all of that? That is really bizarre. Yes, it is. But imagine this, imagine this. Imagine a first century guy who has a vision of, let's say, 21st century reality. 
What would he write down? What would it look like? How would he describe an Apache helicopter? How would he describe some of the weapons that are around today, much less if this was about even a more future period? And so that's some of the imagery that we see. So you got these two guys. And then it says, now when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss, the Antichrist, will attack them and overpower and kill them, and their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, it's Jerusalem, where also the Lord was crucified. This is what's fascinating. For three and a half days, some from every people, every tribe, and every language, every nation, will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. How is that even possible? Can you say CNN? <laughs> Can you say Fox News? Remember the thing in Vegas? Yeah, that we're all watching it. Not everybody, there were some people that didn't, but I'll just bet um, people from all over the world that we're living in an age where this could actually happen. Two guys could be killed and put on, just laid out, and the whole world could see it. it says the inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. And here's what's fascinating, is right after this, these two, while everybody watching on the earth is watching, these two apparently are risen from the dead and ascend to the Father. How many of you know that that would make great ratings, okay? Everybody's wa watching this, and then all hell breaks loose, literally. The Antichrist goes crazy on everybody, uh, requires a mark of the beast. What is the mark? So people ask me this week, who's the Antichrist? We don't know. I mean, don't waste time trying to figure out who that is. It's probably somebody in the future hadn't been born yet, or maybe they're born. I don't know, but we don't know. We'll know it when it's revealed. Rearview mirror, remember that? Then, secondly, what is the mark of the beast? Now, that we know a little bit more about. The mark of the beast is simply an identifying process or an indicator that someone is loyal to the beast or the antichrist. It says that it would be on their hand or on their forehead and that you couldn't do business without the mark of the beast. So can you imagine that if you wanna get gasoline, if you wanna get food, if you wanna do business or whatever, you've got to have this mark, whatever it is. Now, have you seen uh, recently or heard of uh, companies that are, there are some companies that are putting chips in employees. You put them in your dogs already and cats and stuff. You should put them in your cats. No, put them in your dogs. No, I'm not gonna say anything. So anyway, I'm just trying to get a rise out of somebody. But anyway, so companies are putting them in for health, health reasons. That is not the mark of the beast, okay? That's not the, don't worry about that. That's not the mark of the beast. But that could be how that whole thing happens or processes, right? And so, and so it makes it a terrible place for believers. And so what's happening to believers during this time of tribulation, this seven years? Well, that brings us to the fifth thing. Okay, heaven, second coming of Jesus, millennium, tribulation, rapture, rapture. And the rapture is a concept that believers are risen from the dead to come and be with Jesus. In fact, in the New Testament, in the first century, all the believers thought that Jesus was coming in their lifetime. Many of them had seen him or had heard about him, thought he was coming in their lifetime. So they're, they're, they're waiting for him to come back. And some of their friends start dying. Some of them are martyred. 
Some just die natural causes. And so they're coming to their leaders going, well, if Jesus comes, what about our loved ones who are already dead? And so Paul writes this scripture. He says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So when somebody dies, we grieve, but not like those who have no hope because we do have hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to God's word, we, will, uh, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, second coming of Jesus, or rapture as some, some would see it, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and after that, we who are still alive and are left will be, say the words caught up. Caught up, okay. Is rapture in the Bible? Is the word rapture? No. Caught up is in there, and that's what rapture means. So that's where that all comes from. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is what it's saying is, is that those who die will go to be with the Lord, okay? They're spirits, but their bodies will remain there. There is coming a day when those who are left on the earth when Jesus comes, that those who have gone before will be resurrected with brand new bodies. He talks another place about the brand new bodies, resurrected bodies. How many of you would like a resurrected body? I would like a new body, frankly. When I go downstairs right now, it just is not good. And I would like a resurrected body. Well, you're gonna get one someday. And it says those that are alive, will, their bodies will be changed in a twinkling and will go to be with the Lord. Well, that's what's called the rapture. Now, just like anything else in Revelation, there are three views on that. There's the pre-trib rapture, meaning the rapture is before the tribulation. Say pre-trib together, pre-trib, okay? And what's that saying is that uh, God takes his people away before the tribulation, which would make a terrible, terrible time for people that are there. But before the, the tribulation, God's people go away. Then the second view is the mid-trib rapture. Say mid-trib together, mid-trib. And that simply means that halfway through that tribulation, after the good times, that God takes his people away. And then the third one is post-trib. See, we've switched this where you got the tribulation first and then the rapture, which means that the church would go through the rapture and that the or go through the tribulation, the rapture would actually be the second coming. So let's have a vote. Which one of those would you like? Yeah, yeah, let's go first. <laughs> What's gonna happen? I don't know. I don't know. We'll see it better in the rearview mirror, but there are some ideas. So, so we're gonna wrap it up here. Let's go back and review. All you have to know is that Jesus is coming and heaven is promised, okay? On the rest of this, you can kind of make your own adventure. Move this block over here, this one here. I mean, there are people that believe all over the map on this stuff. And it's good to study and know, but it's not 
necessary. What is necessary is that Jesus is coming and heaven has been promised. But here is an interesting question. Are we in the end times? Are we today living in the end times? Here's what I do know. Every generation thinks they are. <laughs> so they write books and compare everything to all of that. But can we, can we see anything today that would indicate that we are in the end times? I think that you might be able to, I, there, there we go. Ours is the first generations in 1900 years to see the nation of Israel. I want you to see how significant this is. Do you remember when I said earlier, this is the big reveal. Remember when I said earlier that in AD 70, Israel was destroyed, has not existed as a nation since then. So for 100 years, there was no Israel. For a thousand years, there was no Israel. Almost 1,900 years later, in 1948, following the Holocaust, the powers that be of the nations of the world came together and said, there's gonna be an Israel. And Israel was born. This has never happened in the history of the world. This is unprecedented. 1,900 years, a nation doesn't exist, and all of a sudden, it does. Why is that important? Because... Most of end time prophecy depends on this happening. Right here, right here. So are we in the end times? I would say it like this. We're closer than any generation has ever been. <laughs> but from some of the things going on in the world and here, I think you could make a case that it's soon. People get ready. Jesus is coming. So what should you do? What should you do in light of this? Make sure you're ready. Make sure you're ready. See, only a fool would live his entire life unprepared for something that they know is inevitable. And the inevitability is that Jesus is coming. In fact, he said, you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Be ready, how do you be ready? You receive him as your Lord and Savior, as general manager of your universe. You say, I wanna be a Christ follower. I wanna live forever with him. You commit yourself to that. We'll give you an opportunity to do that in just a few minutes, we always do. But be ready, be ready. Second thing you do is start living your life for a higher purpose, for a higher purpose. You know what? If Jesus is coming and he says to be ready, then he's got work for you to do while you wait. It's not just you know go out in the woods somewhere and wait till Jesus comes. No, he wants you. He's got you at the place that you live. You were born at the time that you were born for a purpose. And yet we get our eyes all clouded with all of the stuff. Who has the most toys? What's going on in the world? Who's in charge? Who has harmed me? And the Apostle Paul says it like this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. 
He says, live your life with purpose. How much time do you spend thinking about heaven? Thinking about Jesus. Thinking about your future and what is to come. He says, if you'll do that, the quality of your life will be better. It really will. And you'll be prepared. Here's the third thing that you do is keep your head up because you know the end of the story. You know what? Some of you are going through some really difficult stuff right now. I know because I get every week, I get notes or messages or people that are concerned that somebody's going through tough stuff. Just really tough stuff. Well, you know what? When you go through tough stuff, and stuff that is hard to understand. He said, when these things begin to take place, the tough things that happen in your life and the end time stuff that we talk about, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawn near. There's a good end to your story. Keep your head up. Keep your head up. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your kingdom. I thank you for how... You reveal yourself to us. And as best as we know how, we, we look at that and we, we line our lives according to your word. I pray that in the next few minutes that you would just help us to really take a look inside, to be honest, and just to make some, some decisions on that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.